We've talked about copyright on this podcast already, but we still haven't taken a meticulous look at the way mainstream Bible translations are licensed, what the specific limitations are, and how different translations compare to each other in this area. This episode will be a real eye-opener for many of you, so make sure you're sitting down. We're going to be talking to the creator of a website called copy.church, which seeks to point people to the simple truth that it's wrong to limit access to the Word of God. He's been thinking about and studying these things for years, and I think what he has to say is extremely important. I'm Andrew Case, and this is Working for the Word. Now, our guest in this episode works in a sensitive area, so I'm not going to disclose his full name. We're going to call him John. John is the founder of Gracious Tech, a mission-focused app development ministry. He first got interested in missions while traveling to Southeast Asia and realizing the dire need for the gospel there. He promptly committed his life to mission work and completed an MDiv in preparation. And while he initially thought that he'd be putting his IT skills to the side, he soon realized how advantageous it would be to have apps for sharing the gospel and aiding mission work. During his first term of mission overseas, he worked on an app for sharing Bible stories using plain scripture. It was almost finished when he realized the licenses of almost all Bible translations don't permit sharing plain scripture and instead must be accompanied by other commentary. Not knowing much about copyright or how to go about seeking permission, the project was put on hold for many years. John later founded Gracious Tech and now commits most of his time to developing apps for mission. He currently lives in Sydney, Australia with his wife and two daughters. So you were trying to create an app with scripture in what language or can you share that? Um, yeah, so I was trying to um, share scripture in Vietnamese. And this was a Bible translation into Vietnamese from where? Uh, Again, this is like one of the things you have to work out, like who actually owns this thing. I think a lot of Bibles in a lot of parts of the world, they just put like copyright United Bible Societies, which is this overall organization that kind of connects all these different Bible sites together. But even they, even they don't actually, you know, they're not the official copyright owners and it's all very confusing. I think it's actually a Bible society in Vietnam that owns the copyright. And I, um, I did reach out to them recently, actually. And um, I finally, after seven years, got to the point where I was actually, you know, I knew how to ask permission. I'd gone through all the steps of starting an organization and being able to do that and getting access to this rights management system and everything. And I asked them and um, their response was that they didn't have a policy yet about using the Bible in apps. And so they they refused to even have a conversation about or what what my app was about. They basically just said, we just publish in books. We don't have a policy yet. We haven't decided what to do about apps. And so, sorry, we can't help you. <laughs> and so I sent them a follow-up email asking, um, 
you know, that's okay. You know, I actually know a lot about this copyright stuff and um, all you need to do is this, 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 and we can work out an agreement together. You can tell me what your conditions are. And eventually I got them at least to say, well, sorry, we haven't, they still stood firm and so they didn't have a policy on it. And maybe I could check back in six months time. So I'm still waiting to um, yeah, hear back from them on that. Right. So your only option would be to buy a physical copy and give that away to somebody? Yeah, um, basically, yeah, you could buy a physical copy. You could go on Uversion, um, which is one of the few apps that um, have that translation, have both translations. Um, but again, that's sharing the entire Bible with someone. And if they don't have right. any kind of background to Christianity whatsoever, you know, they're going to start in Genesis, which isn't a bad place to start. But, you know, they're going to keep going from Genesis and read chronologically and you try to explain where, a, you know, a parable that you want to share with them about Jesus is. And it's, they're going to have a hard time trying to navigate that and remember what book it's in and chapter and everything. But, you know, often um, Bible publishers will, uh, especially in the West, they'll usually publish like gospels by themselves sometimes. So you could go to a store and buy a single gospel, which is a bit better. But Basically, you're limited to whatever they decide. So if they're printing it in a particular format, then that's that. And even these, um, even I was looking at it the other day, but even these gospels that they print and hand out, the first page is all that legal text. So you're handing out this gospel to evangelize and share the gospel with someone, and the first page they open is all this: "Do not share scripture. Do not do this. Do not do that." <laughs> yeah. So not a great introduction. Yeah, not exactly the most uh, warm, free first impression. That's pretty intense for you as somebody who knows English and is tech savvy to still run up against that much of a learning curve and obstacles along the way to do a simple thing like that. Because... I think usually when most people's impression is that, oh yeah, these people are they, they want they want to give things away they they want to help spread the word of God and spread the gospel and it's just a matter of you asking and and then they'll just give a very cheerful yes immediately right and and it will all be great from there. I think that's what most people would assume they would assume the best of of these kinds of organizations because they're. I mean, they're Bible societies or they're, they're mission organizations or they're nonprofit Christian ministries. So obviously, they would respond that way, right? <laughs> if somebody wanted to use their material for missions, right? Yeah, I was going to say a good activity, actually, if you want to learn more about this, is to just go on one of these Bible publishers' websites and go to their request permission form. And you'll see how um, supposedly easy it is. <laughs> so they have a whole bunch of detailed questions. And some of those questions, I'm pretty pretty well educated. I've been in ministry for a while, and I don't even know how to answer some of them. Some are to do yeah. with, like, what's your publishing plan? Like, I don't have a plan. I just want to share the gospel. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it, it can be really brutal. So tell us what, so you, you ran into all these obstacles, so that got you thinking about these things a little more deeply. So tell us more about that journey. So way back then, about seven years ago, that was when I was working on my first app for sharing scripture. And as I mentioned, it was almost done. And then I 
realized if I published this, it would actually be breaking the law. I'd need to get permission for these translations. And I didn't really know what to do. And um, during that time, I went back to Bible college or seminary to continue my studies. And I was very busy and I just kind of let the project drop, um, even though it was pretty much done and ready to go and forgot about it for a little bit. Um, But then I got really passionate about using software for mission again um, started up my own uh, ministry called gracious tech for making apps for mission uh, over the years of doing mission both cross-culturally and locally uh, i just got lots of ideas of ways or apps i could create for sharing scripture in different ways um, ways that we haven't thought of yet so not just like a when i talk about bible apps i'm not talking about you version i'm not talking about a simple uh, read the entire bible kind of thing i'm talking about like what other ways could we share scripture in creative more useful ways for example a project that's coming up i'm really excited about is creating your own app so creating your own bible little bible app where you pick the passages you want and so if you if you meet a friends um and you want to uh, take them for an introduction to Christianity or something. You can pick, you know, 10 or 20 passages that you think are best suited for them, where they're at in their life, what they might find interesting or what might impact them. And then uh, you, you tell the website what you want and it uh, pops out an app uh, with those exact passages in whatever language you want it to be in. And then you can put that on your friend's phone and you can take them through that when you meet up with them or when you're in a Bible study or you could credit it for like anything. You could credit it for a sermon series. You could credit it for a training. Package scripture in the way, in whatever way is helpful and adapt it to your situation. But that's the kind of thing that you can't do right now. Um, and so those are the kind of things I wanted to create. But um, when I when I'd sit back and decide what to do, I'd be like, well, you know, I could work really hard on this project and I could get it almost done and then ask permission and they can just say no. And then, you know, the project's dead. So, so I wasn't, um, at that time, my company was just starting up. I didn't have a name to myself. I didn't have any quality products that lots of people were using. So I imagined if I, if I you know, went and asked permission with, yeah, not much to show, then it would probably be a no. So rather than do that, I, I just moved on to projects that I didn't have to worry about copyright. So <laughs> I ended up creating some secure newsletter software to help missionaries. Um, yeah, so basically I had lots of ideas and ways I thought I could use my skills for mission, but I had to just put them all on hold because I um, wasn't sure how to ask permission or whether I'd even be granted it. But yeah, anyway, so um, several years, more years down the track, I've become a lot more educated in these areas. I'm um, quite knowledgeable about copyright now. I managed to get access to this rights management system that everyone uses called the Digital Bible Library. But basically, it's this global uh, repository of Bible translations kind of putting them all in one place so that if you want to ask permission to use a Bible translation, you can um, sign up for that and get access. But as far as I know, they only allow organizations. So if you're just an individual wanting to use scripture, then there's probably no chance you're going to get access. Um, In fact, I know someone who's in ministry and they were denied access to it. But because I had started my own company, which cost a lot of money and time, I was finally able to get access to this digital rights system but basically it the whole premise of it is trying to restrict access to scripture basically it's it's designed so that only those who are authorized can get access that's the whole point of it and 
you know, a lot of money and time would have gone into this thing basically to stop stop anyone getting access to scripture and only allowing those who are authorized. Because you could just stick all of these translations in a, you know, in Dropbox or something, and then it'd be super easy for anyone to use them. But they've, they've put, put a lot of time and effort locking up translations in this thing. And then when I finally got into it, I was like, great, I'll finally be able to, you know, create apps. And, and being involved in mission, my hardest always, whenever I create something I want to make it available in every language possible so I make I may make an app for my specific context but then I'm like well the beauty of technology is that there's really not much effort to then roll that out to every single language rather than just mine or well rather than the one I'm focused in so I was hoping when I got access to the system that I could just ask permission for all of the translations and get them all into my apps so that every app I can I create can be in every single language and it's super easy to do that technology wise it really doesn't take much effort at all but when I got into this system this this so there's thousands of translations in the world and what I realized is that there are also hundreds of rights holders hundreds so if you want to get your app or your bible app or whatever into all the languages of the world so that anyone can use it you literally need to approach every single one of these organizations, hundreds of them, and do the same thing, asking permission, um, begging them to be able to, um, and explaining to them what your use case is. They'll come back to you with lots of requirements and you have to report how many people are using it and things like that. And a lot of them will probably charge um, a fee as well. You have to pay them some royalties for it. And you'll have to sign some kind of contract and all of this stuff, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you usually have to sign a contract for every single individual translation. So I've literally signed um, hundreds of, uh, I think I might even be into a thousand, close to a thousand now, contracts Whoa. for using scripture. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? <laughs> and, you know, they're all, they're all copy and paste. So they're all like, the same license and you just have to tick a box for every single one and the system isn't very automated so i I literally had to go click accept 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 um hundreds of times but anyway the um when i when i got in and i saw how you know ridiculous the system is and how silly it is to have to approach hundreds of organizations to get you know scripture in every language that kind of was the point where I w- I'd had enough <laughs> so after seven years of getting to that point starting my own company investing lots of money time learning heaps about copyright getting access to this rights management system and then to find that I have to approach hundreds of organizations I was yikes uh, yeah I'd had enough so that's when I ended up deciding to create copy.church which um, I think we're going to talk more about uh, today also, to clarify for our listeners, uh, most people are not like our guest, John, here. Uh, they would, first of all, most people would get discouraged like at the first first form that they saw or the first copyright explanation that they saw, etc. And then they would give up and go home and be sad. Or the second option is most people in the world outside of the West don't care or know about copyright. So it wouldn't even be on their radar and they would just blissfully, ignorantly and blissfully share this stuff without any permission. 
that's how I would say most of the world works. And then even if they knew it was copyright, it wouldn't even be culturally appropriate to abide by that in most cases, because a lot of cultures would say, you know, if I deny giving this to my friend or whoever it is, that would be rude. It'd be a lot more rude to deny them access to something that I have in my possession, even if it breaks the law, than to abide by the law. Anyway, just to clarify that for a lot of people, John here represents maybe the 0.0001% of people in the world who would actually persevere through all of these hoops and do something like this to abide by the law and get something done. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. And that's right. And as I mentioned, you know, I was one of those people as well. So seven years ago, I was that person who was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't have permission and I don't know how to get it. Um, and yeah, it's taken that seven years to build my knowledge. And, you know, I'm highly, I'm a highly educated person. I've got a bachelor and a master's and stuff. But as you mentioned, a lot of people in the world, um, they, they have no idea about this stuff. And, and it puts missionaries in a really tight spot too, because um, when you go and work in these countries, a lot of people, then they're not paying attention to copyright. They're just freely using ministry resources. But as a missionary who does have knowledge of copyright, you have a conscience issue because, you know, you're like, well, I really want to help these guys and help them access more resources, but I know the way they're doing it is illegal. And so I can't personally do it, but I don't really want to put them off because, you know, they're just trying to share the gospel. So yeah, I think missionaries get kind of the worst deal because they can't use stuff and they also can't freely use it like, like those who are more ignorant of copyright can. Exactly. And it puts a missionary in a very awkward position when somebody in that culture that they're they're trying to minister to asks them for something, a copy of something, and they refuse it to them for these kind of abstract reasons that they can't understand, you know, and it, it really feels terrible on both ends of that relationship. So this is a good segue to your website. So this has led to copy.church. So that is the website. It's not copy.com or anything. It's copy.church. Go there. If you're listening to this and you're in front of a computer or you're on your phone, go there and you can start browsing through that as you listen to this podcast. A lot of great stuff on there, but we're going to highlight a lot of these things that are on there for the people who maybe don't have the time to go there and browse through and read everything on there. So Let's start with the quiz. You have a cool quiz on there. So let's quiz our audience and see how well they do. So listen closely to these questions. The title of the quiz is, Is it legal for you to share the Bible? And only 41% of the world has a shareable translation. This is a stat I actually uh, came up with with, um, when I was trying to access Scripture myself, but no one's really talking about this. People often talk about get everyone to have access to scripture and they usually give a figure in the 80s or 90 uh, i think 80 something um but actually in terms of who could actually freely share legally scripture it's only 41 percent of the world anyway so let's um take this quiz so how it works is you simply need to answer whether a use of scripture is permitted or not and there are three rules and almost every 
Bible has these. So they're actually almost identical. Um, almost every Bible translation has these three rules. Um, some of them vary slightly, but I've, I've picked the most common ones. So the first rule is that you can't quote more than 500 verses. Um, again, sometimes people will vary that. It might be 1,000 or something, but for most of it's 500. So you can't quote more than 500 verses in whatever you're creating. Uh, second rule, you can't quote a complete book. And by book, it's talking about books of the Bible. So um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that kind of thing. So you can't quote a complete book. Yep. And the third rule is scripture can't be more than a quarter of the total content you share. This is that 25% rule I was talking about earlier. And um, usually it'll be phrased uh, in a more confusing way in the licenses. I've tried, I've tried to explain it as easily as I can. This is the rule that trips up most people. But scripture can't be more than a quarter of the total content you share. In other words, you can't share plain scripture. It has to be part of something else. And so we're going to go through the questions. Um, and you have to answer either yes or no. Now, this is just a... Um, game based on the licenses of Bibles. Copyright is a bit more complex than, than this, and you can read more about it on the website. There's something called fair use law that allows you to use um, resources in ways that the license doesn't necessarily say, but that varies by country, and so that can be even more confusing. So we're just looking at the, the basic license of the Bibles. Well, the first question is, can you create a Bible study that is a page with a passage and a few discussion questions? Let's click yes for now, assuming most people think uh, you'd be able to do this. But the answer, of course, is no. And the reason <laughs> is that 25% uh, rule that I was talking about before. So scripture can't be more than a quarter of the total content you share. And so if you're creating a page with a passage on it, you have to make that passage less than 25% of, of what you've written on the page. And so, you know, let's say, um, as I mentioned, there's a few discussion questions that's, that's about three or four sentences. That means that your passage cannot be longer than one sentence, right? right. And so that's basically one, one verse, and, you know, most people are going to pick a passage much larger than one verse. So we can't do that. So let's try the next one. This is a fun one, actually, for um, uh, COVID times. Can you live stream a church service when the sermon is on Philemon? Remembering that Philemon is a book with only one chapter. But the answer is um, no, because you can't quote a complete book. So that was uh, rule number two. And so if you are live streaming, you're actually publishing, um, you know, you can, you can read a book um, in church. So you can read Philemon and it's not an issue. But if you are live streaming, then you've become a publisher. Um, you're now copying that uh, recording of that Bible passage being read and broadcasting it to the world. Um, and especially if you, you're, you know, you're recording the uh, church service as well. Now, I should, I should clarify, I don't, I don't expect, like no one's hunting down churches who have been preaching on Philemon during COVID. Um, and I don't ever ex in, expect a church to get sued for this. Um, but this is mainly to point out how silly these licenses are. So technically you're breaking the license. Right, and it's it's sad if we as Christians are causing each other to break the law based on silly ideas. <laughs> so yeah, 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 it's quite silly. So um, the third question is, can you write a commentary on the first half of Matthew? 
And again, this is a no, and this time we're breaking the first rule. So you can't, can't quote more than uh, 500 verses at a time. And so if you're quoting, if you're writing a commentary on the first half of Matthew, you're not quoting a complete book and you've got a lot of commentary in there. So you're probably not breaking the 25% rule, but half of Matthew is 535 verses. So you've already hit the verse limit on that. Next question. Can you print out uh, third John, which is only one page for a small group to highlight and study together? I often love doing this kind of thing in youth group, so getting youth to in interact with scripture, highlight parts of it, that kind of thing. Um, but technically, again, you'd be breaking the license because you'd be quoting a complete book. So the third John is a single page, but it is one book of the Bible, and so you've actually broken that license. Now, very similar question, a new one, but can you print out John chapter 3 for a small group to highlight and study together. So not for John, but John chapter three. So you're only doing one chapter. But again, you'll be breaking the license because you're sharing plain scripture. You've broken that 25% rule. So you haven't added your own commentary to it. Um, you've just shared plain scripture and you're not allowed to do that. Uh, all right, we're up to our sixth question now. Can you send a blind person a selection of audio Bible stories to listen to? So by that, I mean, actually, you know, re maybe recording yourself, read out a story and send it to someone uh, who's blind. And again, the answer is no. You'd be sharing plain scripture. You've broken that 25% rule again. And I put this question in mainly to show that there's a lot of issues with uh, oral cultures and missions. So people that aren't yeah. literate, they, they're not going to read the Bible. They need an audio recording. I have read a story from Tim Jory about, you know, this people group um, that had scripture, but they didn't have an audio recording of it. And when someone tried to make an audio recording, the response was how much the rights owner would get paid for it. And so we can't necessarily just rely on text. We need to be able to create audio and video forms of uh, scripture. All right. Seventh question. This is a fun one. Can you film your Sunday school acting out Jonah with scripture narration? And again, you've broken the 25% uh, rule if you've done this. Again, you can't share plain scripture. And if you were narrating, you know, using a Bible translation, uh, telling the story and then acting it out straight from scripture, you'd be breaking that rule again. All right, question eight. Can you share a Bible verse on social media? Now, this is one that I think almost everyone's going to say, yes, of course you can do that. Can you share a Bible verse on social media? And in fact, you know, a lot of apps encourage this. So YouVersion has the ability to create little images of um, Bible verses and share them. So obviously, um, the intention of Bible societies and rights owners is that you can do this. I'm not saying that they're, they're trying to forbid you from doing this. But technically, you've broken the license again. So you've um, shared plain scripture, and you can't do that. So, so th this isn't this isn't to suggest that you would get sued for. Like I don't think this would necessarily stand up in court or anything because of fair use. But this is just to say these licenses, the way they've been written, aren't appropriate for our modern age. And I'll get to that in a moment um, when we get to the end of the quiz. Let's go through our last two questions. Um, can you write an article that includes a passage from Ephesians? And this is the only one you can do. So yes, you can probably do that because you're not quoting a complete book. Um, you're only quoting a short passage. It's not going to be more than 500 verses in, in an article. Our last question is, can you print and share Mark with someone who's intimidated by the size of the Bible? 
And again, a lot of Western countries, you'll be able to buy the Gospels um, in their individual form, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and you can usually find them for most translations in the West, but there'll be a lot of places that you can't find this in other countries. And so can you just share a plain, straight-out Gospel, such as Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John? And the answer is no, and this one I put in because it breaks all three rules. And the rules were made before the internet existed. Just think about that for a second. And yet have remained pretty much the same since then. And so we haven't adapted to technology. We haven't adapted to a new environment. And the primary way that you share scripture and you share anything these days is by copying. And so in the past, you know, you'd go to your bookstore and buy a book if you want to give someone a book and you want to keep your own copy. But in our digital age, whenever you share something, you almost always share it by copying. So you copy an image and you put in a WhatsApp message or you copy and paste some text and send it in an email. And so the primary means we share things is not by going and buy something in a store. The primary means we share things is by copying and pasting and sharing things online, sharing it on social media, sharing it through apps. And these licenses were not designed for this age. Yeah. This would be a good time to talk about another part of your website, which is how do some of these translations that we know and love measure up to this new age of the internet, which enables a whole lot of new ways of doing things, right? To make the Bible more accessible, to get it out into more people's hands and hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in Church, if you go into the menu, you'll be able to see a Bibles page under the resources uh, subheading. And this is basically um, uh, what I found when I tried to explain these issues to people was that they'd say things like, oh, you know, the um, NIV, the ESV, all of those are free on version. We can already get it for free, so what's the problem? And I found it hard to explain just how restrictive that was when people think that they can, just because they can use it in one app, that um, it's easy to use and it's given for free. So um, I came up with this scoring system just to show how different something that is copyrighted is to something that is openly licensed or dedicated to the public domain. And so I rank um, the most common uh, English Bible translations on this page um, out of 12. And it's an objective ranking, so it's completely impartial. So I use the same criteria for every single one. Yeah, let's let's start with the ESV. All right. (laughs) Uh, This is my favorite because it scores the lowest. So the ESV scores a 1 out of 12. And I'll explain why. I give it one point because you can read it for free. And so you can go onto version and read the ESV for free, which is, which is you know, it's good. Um, I'm not saying, you know, that they're, they're um, intentionally trying to withhold scripture or anything like that. I think almost everyone has good, usually good intentions. But that's pretty much the only thing you can do. You can read it in uh, some of these apps for free. The second point of criteria is can you read it anonymously? And I give this a no because in version, if you want to really make use of this translation and download it offline, you're going to have to hand over your personal information to do that. And yeah. so version in particular, but probably some other apps as well, um, require you to hand over your personal information in exchange for being able to read the translation offline. 
Now, we know from Facebook and all of that in, in the last few years about realizing that our personal information is a commodity. It is something that, you know, is sold. And so something we've realized as a society is that, you know, you're not just because Facebook's free doesn't mean it's, you know, it's really free. You're handing over all your personal information and they're selling it for, um, and using it for ads. And they actually do this with um, Bible translations as well. And so you'll hand over your personal information to the um, rights owner and they'll then have, um, I think, if I can remember the policy correctly, at the, at the very least, they have your name, your email address and what country you're from, which you, you can imagine is pretty bad for people in persecuted countries. So a lot of these popular translations are going to have a database that is just full of most of the world's Christians because, you know, especially in the West, we usually only rely on um, a handful of translations. And so a lot of the a lot of the world's Christians will be in these databases and they do reach out. I forget the exact contents of the email, but um, they send you an email saying thanks for using our translation, etc. Yeah, again, it's not to suggest that they're, they're definitely not being secretive about this. So they're very clear in their policy. You can read about it in the legal terms, but they also give a message when you down before you give over your information. They explain what's going on. So people are doing this knowledge with knowledge and um, it's not secret or anything. But nevertheless, you know, we've just become accustomed to giving over our personal information. But it's like, hold on a second, do we, do we really need to do this? So why do you think these organizations want that personal information? It's, it's hard to say. I've tried to understand the reasons behind these practices um, from talking to lots of different people. A lot of it is inside knowledge and um, a lot of these agreements are private. And so, for example... Um, all of these Bible translation rights owners will have a private agreement with version um, that dictates the terms of that agreement of them using the translation. And um, I'm fairly sure one of the conditions of that legal agreement is that they are, version will hand over the um, email address and things to the Bible societies. I'm not suggesting this is the only reason, but obviously that's going to be a way to get more donations um, for their ministry if they can get people um, signed up to their newsletters um, and get in contact with whoever's using their translations. I'm not saying that's the only reason. I'm not saying that um, necessarily being ill-intentioned in that way, but um, I imagine that's a part of it. Well, well, let me comment on that because uh, this is an important thing that is highlighted in the Christian Commons book which I'd encourage everyone to to drop everything and read. There is a real tendency, a real desire, a real temptation, or whatever you want to call it, of these organizations to have stats that they can report to donors, which in turn generates more donations. So if if you're unable to track how many people are using your resources, that's not really great information for donors to encourage them and excite them about what your ministry is doing. But if you can turn, you know, at the end of the year, you can tell all your donors, hey, we distributed a million copies of whatever to all over to these countries. That's really exciting. And so I, I think you know that's that's not inherently a bad thing, but it doesn't matter how much friction this may cause for people. Maybe we could have given away a hundred million or three billion copies, but because of the friction of the sign-up issue, 
we only gave away a million, but we have those stats to show our donors, so it's okay. You know, that justifies it and that makes it much more palatable for the leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm a big fan of the Dorian principle, and I know that you've um, talked about that a few times in your podcast already. Um, and so, and yeah, absolutely. Like, I affirm um, financially supporting um, organizations who are doing ministry, and, you know, signing up for newsletters is a great is a great way to learn about what's happening with the ministry and to be able to support them. And so that's, that's great. And I have like newsletter sign up on my website as well. So there's nothing wrong with anything, any of that, having newsletters, encouraging people to donate. I encourage people to donate to my ministry as well. But the problem is that this isn't um, optional. Uh, this is an exchange. And so if you want to use the translation offline, then you're going to need to hand over your personal information. It's not like a box you can tick and say, while you're downloading it offline, would you like to sign up to our newsletter? This is a commercial exchange, if you will, where it's, if you give us your personal information, we'll let you download it offline. And that is uh, the issue, I think. So let's continue through um, the criteria. So we've only covered uh, two so far. So you can read it for free. You can't read it anonymously in all apps, at least. Um, and then I go through a few criteria regarding sharing. So the first one is, uh, can you share unlimited verses? So can you share as much of scripture as you want? And the answer for the ESV is no, you couldn't include this translation in new Bible apps. So I can't include this translation in any of my apps unless I get permission. And, you know, for our... People are used to that kind of thing for a commercial book, but we are talking about God's word here in scripture. And I have a belief that um, you should never be able to limit the distribution of scripture. But that's a yeah. that's something people are going to read more about in the Dorian principle and um, debate on. The second criteria regarding sharing is can you share it by itself? So can you share plain scripture? Can you share a parable of Jesus by itself um, without adding your own commentary? And the answer is no for the ESV, you cannot do that. And the third one uh, regarding sharing is, uh, can you share an entire book? And the answer is for the ESV is no, you cannot. Mm -hmm. And then we get on to more of what I call the usage, so how you can use it. Can you quote uh, the ESV in open resources? Now, this is the one, um, <laughs> this is my most frustrating point and criteria that the, only the ESV breaks. So as far as I know, no other translation breaks this criteria except for the ESV. And I'll have to explain it a bit, but basically they forbid using their translation whatsoever, so not even quoting a single verse, they forbid it being used in openly licensed resources. Um, I think they specifically mention the Creative Commons licenses. But say I wrote a book and I was giving the book away for, for free. So I read a book and I use the ESV as part of my quotes. It's, it's a free book, so it's not commercial. And I'm giving it away for free, but I maintain copyright of it, which means no one else can share it, just me. So only I can share my book. And if you want to share it with your friends, well, they have to come to me to get their own copy. The ESV would be fine with that. They're fine if you lock down your resource with copyright. But if you were to say, you know, I wrote this book for free and I want everyone to be able to share this freely. They don't have to ask me for permission. They may not even have to credit me. You can freely share this book for the sake of God's kingdom. Then that's not allowed. So in other words, they allow copyrighted restricted use of their translation in non-commercial resources, but they don't allow it if you freely share it. 
That is mind blowing. I'm not sure why. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. I I don't even know why. This is the strangest condition of I've ever read in any license. It's basically. So so it appears it appears that they did revisit their license in light of the internet age, and they made it even more restrictive in light of the internet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So actually, yes, they have modified their license and tried wow. to prevent people from sh- freely sharing resources that use the ESV. And so I actually, and so this is probably a good point to mention um, fair use law. So in the States, you have something called fair use. In Australia and other places, we call it fair dealing, um, slightly different. But basically, most countries will have this uh, law that allows you to quote resources uh, for free and use them without having, even if you're breaking the license of the resource. So even if they don't, even if it's copyrighted, even if it's allowed, you're still allowed to quote and use things as long as it's in a reasonable manner, which is why they call it fair use, as long as the use is fair. So you could actually quite happily ignore <laughs> the ESV's uh, condition here. For example, I could use the ESV and quote some verses from it in my site, and I would be fine under fair use law. They couldn't get me in trouble for that, even though it's breaking their license. In light of that, it seems to me... So they're, they're smart people. They have lawyers and stuff. In light of that, it seems that they are intentionally trying to scare people or frighten people, knowing that people could do it anyway, but if they put a clause in there like that, they could potentially limit more people from doing that who may not be as familiar with fair use. I don't know. That's what it comes across as. I I don't want to attribute intentions to anyone, but it does come across that way, which is, I think, very unbecoming of Christian ministries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of my problem with all of the licenses in general, is that it's hard to tell who they're written for. So, you know, the fact that it's legal text and it's in very fine print in the start of the books and no one's going to read it anyway, perhaps they're just, you know, aiming this at people who do know a bit about copyright law and they understand, you know, fair use and everything. But in general, the licenses are pretty confusing because they don't acknowledge fair use at all. And so they, they make it sound like they're being generous and saying, you can use up to 500 verses, when actually fair use will probably allow you to do that anyway. So, so a, lot of, um, a lot of the use that they permit in the license is already covered by fair use. And so I've, I've read some people write about you know, these licenses and say, oh, they're actually, you know, they're very generous. They allow you to use 500 verses and as long as you don't, you know, abuse it or whatever well actually you know that's not generous because you can do that anyway <laughs> so, um, so in some ways these licenses are an approximation of what they consider to be fair use and so there is fair use law and you know you have to go to court to work out exactly what the judge thinks whether the use is fair or not but these licenses are, are kind of them saying this is what we think fair use is and it may not actually be true and so when it comes to the ESV's condition saying you cannot use it at all in a Creative Commons licensed um, resource, then actually they're actually going beyond, they're, they're actually being more restrictive than fair use would allow. Right. Well, for the sake of time, let's kind of give a lightning round to the the rest of these restrictions on the ESV. These are pretty simple anyway. So the, uh, you, whether you can use it commercially, no, um, you know, that's not a big deal because I don't do anything commercially anyway. Uh, can you translate it? No, you can't do that. They're one of the 
translations that explicitly says you cannot translate this. But a lot of most copyrighted works you can't because of copyright. That's how it works. One of the things it protects you from is the right to translations. And so regardless if they mention it or not, you can't translate a copyrighted resource without permission. And I think a lot of people would think like, why would you want to translate from English anyway? Because, you know, you want to go back to the original languages. But I think you'd probably have more opinion on this than me. But I imagine there's situations where, you know, at least from my experience um, traveling around Southeast Asia, there's a lot of people that know English, but very few that know ancient Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> so if you're going to a region that doesn't have a Bible translation yet, and you're probably still going to encounter a lot of, especially students who are very fluent in English. And so if you wanted to just get kickstarted, maybe not do the whole Bible, but for example, you want to share a parable of Jesus just to evangelize and it'd be nice to be able to just translate from English to do that because rather than spend however long it's going to take to teach them ancient Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, it's a lot better than nothing and there's a lot of people that limits so many people who would just want to take the initiative and let's say they they're bilingual and there's no Bible in their language. They only know English. They just want to get something done, translate John or something for their community. It's pretty brutal. Okay, so let's let's keep going for the sake of time. So can you modify it? Again, this is a <laughs> might have to stop to briefly explain that. There's some Bible translations that have become old or have uh, maybe they've even got spelling mistakes or maybe the language has moved on. And so not having the freedom to modify a translation is actually really restrictive for some, some places. It's not a big as big a deal with English, I suppose. But Yeah, and I'll just mention here, I did a podcast a long time ago on some of the laughable things that the ESV has. You know, There's a lot of people who really hold the ESV high up as this can-do-no-wrong translation, but there is a lot of language in there that could miscommunicate or whatever, and I talk about that. And so if you wanted to to kind of smooth that out, you wouldn't be able to. Or the ESV also chooses to use circumlocution for God's name. So if you wanted to put Yahweh instead of Lord, you wouldn't be allowed to do that, which would not be a huge deal by putting what the Hebrew actually has. But yeah. Yeah, and something I'll just very briefly mention is that just because someone, if someone modifies, for example, they take the ESV, you do a, a finer replace or, or a more careful method of replacing Lord with Yahweh, it doesn't mean you can call it the ESV. And so this is where um, I think trademarks and other laws are much more useful for protecting the integrity of a resource. And so if you're afraid of people you know, making modifications and confusing people, well, that's not what copyright's for. That's what trademarks are for. So you should freely release your resource and then prevent people from calling it the ESV for the sake of preventing confusion. And then they have to call it something else. So the only last criteria is um, whether the owner is supportive. And so I add this one because I know that um, people like Biblica, they're using the royalties from the NIV um, and their other translations to fund more Bible translation efforts in other languages that they're then giving freely. And so I acknowledge that, again, there's a lot of good intentions involved with these things. And so some organizations, although they may not release a particular translation freely, they're using the royalties to fund other ones that they are releasing freely. However, the ESV, the owner is not supportive, so they get across for that one anyway. <laughs> so that's how they end up with uh, one they're, out of They're 12. not supportive of what exactly? Oh, Say that again. Yeah, so I'm just saying that I don't have any evidence that the royalties they're getting from the ESV are being used to fund translations that are being given freely. 
And so it's kind of a specific criteria, mainly aimed at people like Biblica, who have explicitly, you know, announced that they're releasing translations for free, but they can't do it with the NIV for various reasons. Yeah, I will comment that the ESV in particular seems extremely commercially minded. The amount of different kinds of products based on the ESV, the journaling Bibles, the different designs. I mean, there's just such a vast array of these products that they've created that seem extremely commercialized. Yeah, and I think I probably should mention, and a lot of people would mention this too if they know about ESV, is that the owner Crossway is a non-profit. And so, you know, the organization behind the ESV is a non-profit organization. So in that sense, you know, they're not profiting in a in a legal sense. But again, this this, you know, reading we read the Dorian principle, and you know, just because you're a non-profit doesn't mean you can't commercialize ministry. Yeah, I, I still personally don't really understand how you can still call yourself a non-profit and still engage in that kind of stuff, but that's for another time. It's very confusing on the optics of it on the outside. It's very confusing to the average Joe to see, like, okay, I go to a store and I see all of these branded things that you are selling. You're not saying, here's your suggested donation. These have real barcodes and prices stamped on them, but still you're saying this isn't for profit. Well, the thing that I realized when I started my company, which is um, uh, a nonprofit in the Constitution, is I realized a lot about how nonprofits work, and it's mostly in a legal sense, because when I started the company, it was just me, and I was the director. I was also the sole employee and so I had to decide how much to pay pay myself and I was trying to work out like what what restrictions are there like you know obviously I want to be a non-profit so you know what what are the rules for non-profits and how much you pay yourself and I couldn't find anything because you can literally just pay yourself whatever you like Um, and you know it probably has to be reasonable for your skill set you actually have a really good system in the US because if you're a uh, nonprofit or a charity in the US, they actually have to report how much they're paying their senior management. And if you, I won't, I won't say who or announce how much in this podcast, but go and do the work yourself. Go look up how much these nonprofit organizations are paying their CEOs, and I think you'll be amazed. We're going to pause the interview right here. And in the next episode, we'll continue our conversation. It's going to be really interesting what we talk about next. So make sure you're subscribed. And if you found any of this helpful or enlightening, please help us share it with others so that they can benefit from these ideas and at least help us share the website copy.church. Thanks again for listening. For those who are new here, this is a podcast where we believe the Bible is a unified, God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book sweeter than honey, and pointing to Jesus. And my desire is that we come away treasuring the Bible increasingly and becoming more like the man of Psalm 1.